One more thing. Um, Easter's coming. And I don't think we've said much about it here, but we've got some grand plans for Easter. Of course, we're going to have Easter services here as, as we did last year. And, but that's also one of the two times a year when a lot of people who don't normally go to church will come if you just ask. If you just say, hey, what are you doing on Easter? If you want to go to church, um, my family, come with us, and uh, the people there will, will love on you, and we, we won't be weird, right? Okay? First off, everybody promise me you won't be weird on Easter. Nobody's going to be weird. We're not weird people anyway, Terry. Come on. Uh, but I'm, I promise you this, that if you bring guests to church on Easter, we will not embarrass you. We will not. We will love the Lord and we'll preach the word and, and we'll be friendly and we will not embarrass you with, it, with anything. So you can take the risk. The risk could pay off in eternity for people. So it's a worthwhile investment of love on your part to invite people. We have two services, uh, 9.30 and 11.15. Now, last year I said to the church, hey, everybody, come at the early service because that'll leave room for all the guests. And you all did come to the first service. I think we had 300 people that weekend and probably two-thirds or three-fourths of them were here at 9.15. So come to whichever one works for you. They both are fine. (laughs) 9.30 or 11.15, we'll just let the Holy Spirit sort things out. We also have a Good Friday service on the Friday evening preceding. The dates are the 6th and the 8th, and it's coming up. It's just a few weeks away. And our Good Friday service will be an hour service. So will Easter. Those services will be about an hour and uh, the Good Friday service is 7 o'clock on Friday night the 6th, so just be aware of that. Okay, today's the 18th, which means we're going to just make a pass, a, um, a drive-by through Proverbs 18, and um, that's verse 24. Friends come and friends go, but a true friend sticks by you like family. Okay, so we're in Judges 14 today, and uh, we started a series last week, and we're looking at this pretty interesting character named Samson. So a quick review about who Samson was. He was this guy who from very birth was set apart. He was chosen by God to help bring some deliverance to the nation of of Israel from the repressive Philistines who were uh, ruling over them. And God gave this guy some supernatural strength. We're going to hear some stories and some potential to do some things that you just can hardly even imagine. But like so many of us guys, um, he continuously made self-destructive decisions and kind of kind of cashed in on him and i tried to summarize his life in one sentence and so last week so here's here's what i said we, we said about him last week he was an incredibly strong man but with a dangerously weak will a lot of potential a huge amount of potential god-given potential but with this you know this amazing trap door to fall through that he kept pulling the lever on. And we looked at a few attitudes, three attitudes that make strong men weak that we see in Samson. One is lust. He decided to pursue this Philistine woman who was, who was forbidden to him. But he said, no, I saw it. I like it. I want it. Lust, lust caused him some problems. The second one was this sense of entitlement. He violated this, this vow he had made before God for a handful of honey, thinking, I deserve it. That was entitlement. And the third, the third attitude that makes strong men weak was pride. He had taken a vow never to touch alcohol, and that was just his vow before the Lord. And, and he, what he did was he looked at his vow, I can handle it. I can handle it. And what does he do? He breaks that vow and throws himself a big old keg party before his wedding. And <laughs> we watched this guy who was very strong become very, very weak. 
And so today we're going to take a look at some of his other vulnerabilities. I'm sorry, Samson. He's just really going to be our whipping boy today. Um, but here's the deal with Samson. He was driven by emotion instead of being led by the Spirit. For men, of you, men and women among us who are Christians, we should be Spirit-led in all that we do. And instead, we're often driven by our emotions. So the challenge for us, and, and this is going to come across in this message in this series, it's a little bit going to come across as masculine because I got this really man's man. And so ladies, come with me on this. If, if I say, you know, guys, if I reference the guys a lot in the message, just kind of come along. But I'm sure the Holy Spirit's out there somewhere for you too. I know that'll work out. But we see this, this, this the challenge for particularly for men is that we don't like to think of ourselves as emotional. That's the women that are emotional. We guys, we're not, you know. And when there's something that goes wrong and, and um, uh, you know, we, 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 we want to we know about our feelings. We want to go ahead and feel our feelings. But we're just not going to be driven by them like, like we see sometimes we feel like women. We make these assessments which are completely not objective, guys. And uh, yet, so something will happen to us. Something happens to us that hurts us. And generally speaking... Women will talk about it, and men will act upon it, generally speaking. So, you know, something goes wrong, hurts, breaks your heart. Women will call each other up, say, hey, let's sit down and talk. You know, I'll come over, and we'll sit on the sofa, and we'll have some tea together, and we'll talk. I can see women's heads going, yeah, that, that's perfectly makes sense. Guys don't do that. One of you guys gets hurt, and you come and say, hey, Terry, would you come over and sit on my sofa and have tea with me and talk? <laughs> Probably the only time we'll ever do that. And I don't know why. It's just, it just threatens my masculinity to do that. I couldn't wear a pink shirt to church no matter what. You know. Or a pink salmon or whatever you want to call it. So there's just something about that. How many of you have ever let your emotions drive you someplace that you wished afterwards you hadn't gone there? Yeah, pretty much everybody. I have this weakness. You know, I, I want to think that I'm a man of reason. And that my spirit controls where I go and that my intellect is a close second and I'm doing the rational thing. But I realize that sometimes the most dominant part of, of who Terry is, is my right foot. Smarter or somehow it takes charge of the whole body. I mean, here's the deal. I'm one of those guys. When I see the sign that says speed limit, I'm on the freeway. I'm pretty sure that means where you're supposed to start, right? That's the minimum. Is that, the, is that what that means? That's what my foot thinks. And it's down there in the foot well, and it can't see. And so I'm, I, it's just going, you know, my head is saying, hey, 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 hey. And my foot's going, that's your deal. I'm going to do my deal. You just, you know, do whatever you want. You can play the cruise control if you want to, head and arm. But I'm the foot, and I'm shoving down no matter what you do. So I'm in the left-hand lane. So I'm, I, I, I'm just sharing with you transparently i'm making fun of myself i really do drive faster than i should yes lord so so i'm typically in the left-hand lane and i'm not crazy you know i'm i'm within a reasonable number reasonable by my assessment i'm speeding a little bit and i'm in the left lane and i'm motoring along and you know sometimes there's other traffic but it's nice and clear and so i'm cruising i'm not threatening anybody and then for some unexplained reason, the guy in the car in the middle lane thinks he doesn't like that lane anymore. He wants this lane and he pulls over in front of me and it's almost like he does everything except shove on the brakes. Like, come on, 
like, it makes me think, okay, if things start kind of bubbling a little bit, I'm thinking, what did you do that for? You had a perfectly good lane. Now, why did you pull in front of me and force me to slow down? Are you like the arbiter of freeway speed? It's your job to make me not speed. What is the deal with that? I'm getting ticked off thinking about it sitting up here. <laughs> and so we're driving along, and I'm thinking, that's fine. You can have that spot, and I'll take yours. And, oh, now there's a truck, so i got to go around this guy. And I start doing this thing, right? I'm weaving in and out, and I'm going faster. And I'm thinking, you know, there's two trucks coming. But if I time it right, I can get right between them. I get past this whole thing. <sighs> then, the, the, then the lovely, emotional lady in the seat next to me goes dead silent dead silent and and i'm telling you the dead silence is screaming into my soul right past my quiet ears then i start thinking the louder i hear her be quiet the more options i start thinking and calculating in my mind see what could happen in this circumstance let's see now i'm weaving in and out of traffic because somebody took my turf it's their turf too. They paid taxes. It's actually, anyway, whatever. I'm reasoning in my mind, okay, one option is they could learn their lesson after they realize how upset they made me and never do that again. What are the chances of that happening, right? <laughs> Not going to happen. Second thing, okay, I could actually make somebody swerve and create an accident. Somebody could get hurt. That's not good. Another one, well, maybe that wouldn't happen, but there's a police officer in an unmarked something sees the whole thing, flips his lights on. Not only do I get a ticket, it's for aggressive driving. Things are getting worse here. The more scenarios. Or here's the ultimate. Here is the ultimate bad one. It's one of you guys on the way to church, and I don't recognize your car. (laughs) And as I pull into the free, pull into the parking lot, you pull in right behind me smiling like, nice job, Pastor Terry. (laughs) And something about the Holy Spirit starts saying, there's another option here, Terry. You could just grow up. You could just grow up. And eventually my emotions resolve somewhere in there. And I realized that the grow up option, that's the one that was spirit led. Yet I've gone through this whole scenario. I know none of you have ever have anything like that. Maybe it's not the freeway. But as a guy, you know, we often act and do the ungodly thing rather than being led by the Spirit. I want to do what's right, but I often end up being led by my emotions. You know, maybe at home, you get home from work, and what you want to do is you want to spend some time with the kids. But emotionally, from whatever, you're fried. And you just decide, I'm going to give myself a few minutes, and down you sit with the clicker, and pretty soon the night goes by, and you've never spent any time with your kids, and you don't do what it is that you really wanted to do. Or maybe you say something or you do something really stupid, and you realize you ought to apologize to somebody, but your pride won't let you apologize. You're motion-driven and not spirit-led. Or maybe somebody does something, and you explode in anger, it doesn't fix anything, and you end up like Paul in Romans 7 where he says, you know, the things that I should do, I don't do, and the things that I shouldn't do, I do. I don't get that. And the reason is, is because we're emotion-driven. That's why Paul 
um, that's what he said in Galatians 5, 16 and 17. So I say, live by the Spirit. We're to be Spirit-led. And when we're Spirit-led, you know, what will we not do? And, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other. So that you do not do what you want. And the problem for Samson and for a lot of us guys is that he was emotion-driven and not spirit-led. You can see this play out in Samson's life. Here's a quick catch-up if you weren't here last week. Samson pursued this woman who worships a false god. And uh, so she was a Philistine woman and was therefore forbidden to him. And he says, basically, I don't care what my dad says. I don't care what my God says. You know, I saw this chickadee. She's pretty special, and I want her. And so now the wedding's about to go down. And because she's a Philistine woman, there's a lot of other Philistines around, including these 30 Philistine men that are referenced in the Word of God. And uh, he decides he's going to outsmart them. He says, hey, I'm going to tell you a riddle. Let's have a battle of the wits. And, uh, in fact, you know, everybody knows that men have to compete all the time. So now he's competing versus these 30 guys. And he says, let's put a wager on it. And so they wager 30 outfits of clothing and some linens and so forth. And uh, the deal is, he says, he's going to tell them this. And um, so to remind you before, before you hear the riddle, to remind you, there's a point where he tears up a lion. He passes by at another time. And now there's bees in it and they've got honey in there. And he decides to scoop some honey out of the lion and eat it while he's walking and uh, which was a violation of his vow he had vowed as an he had taken on this Nazarite vow I'll never touch any dead thing I'll never drink any alcohol and I'll never cut my hair so he had decided to to uh, just he decided he he was entitled so he deserved so he takes this this honey and eats it okay so that's the background for where he says okay here comes this riddle and this is um, found in Judges 14 out of the eater something to eat out of the strong something sweet so now he's talking about the lion and the honey. For three days, they could not give him the answer. Now, they're ticked off. These 30 Philistines are ticked off because they can't figure out what is he possibly talking about? What's the deal with his riddle? So they go to Samson's wife to be in this says, you know, trick him. You need to get it out of him because if you don't get it out, get this secret out of him and tell us, we're going to burn you and your father to death. Pretty scary. So... Um, she does, you know, what is manipulative, but it's a effective manipulation. And she starts crying, you don't love me, you know, if you love me, you know, she's going to violate him with it, but you don't love me. So, so she, she whines and moans and he caves, tells her the secret. And then let's pick up again in verse 18. Okay. Uh, so before sunset on the seventh day, so the, the bet's not over because it was, he says within seven days, the men of the town said to him, what is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? Now Samson's ticked because they figured out his riddle. He's lost. He's embarrassed and angry. And he says the stupidest thing he could have said. His emotions are now taken. You know, he's in traction. He's in granny gear. He's going to climb up the side of this mountain. Samson said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. <laughs> it's okay to laugh. <laughs> I told you this is the stupidest thing. If you had not plowed with my heifer, it's okay to laugh at that, right? I mean, I mean, it's not. What is he thinking? Okay, if you want to research that in Hebrew, here's what you'll find out that it actually says. It says in Hebrew, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. That's what he said. What an arrogant, 
no good, bad decision-making mistake. I mean, it's clear she wasn't unattractive. Remember, this is the woman. He comes to town, says, I see it, I like it, I want it. She probably was hot. Can your pastor say hot in front of you? In front of, so she was, she was a looker. Why would he say this? His anger has got him so far that now he is using his tongue to say hurtful, mean, ugly, untrue things about this woman who's to be his bride. That's how far his emotions have got him now. He's calling her ever. If there's a lesson here, just a simple mini lesson for us guys, don't ever call your beloved a heifer. Okay? You get that one? That one's just a freebie. <laughs> but a heifer, I mean, come on. We're going to watch Samson now cave into some of the weaknesses that so many of us guys have. And he should be led by the Spirit, but instead his emotions now. So he falls victims. He falls victim to two emotions that take strong men down. Okay. One, Samson burned with anger. He's so ticked off because they won. We see this in verse 19. He went down to Ashkelon, struck down 30 of their men, stripped them of their belongings, and gave their clothes to those who had explained the riddle. So he takes off and takes the lives of 30 innocent men. Burning with anger, he went up to his father's house. And Samson's wife was given to the friend who had attended him at his wedding. What? What? Did we just shift? Did we just shift? Am I in the same story I was in last sentence? Okay. Something just happened here. Samson loses the bet. And instead of sticking with and going to the wedding, he takes off for this little side trip to get the clothes to pay back his lost bet. He kills 30 men. I don't know how long it takes to kill 30 men with your bare hands. It takes a while. He goes to another town or he goes someplace. He kills 30 men, however long that takes. Now, I guess when you're going to use their clothes to pay off a bet, you try not to mess up the clothes. So I don't know how he, gets, he kills the guys. He gets the clothes. He's got to carry them. This all takes time. And he goes, and he's not at the wedding. And it wasn't particularly uncommon at that time for the father of the bride to be thinking like this. This is embarrassing. We got a party here. The food's all ready to go. My daughter is standing back here. He called her a heifer, and she's not. And all these things are going on. But it wasn't uncommon in a circumstance like that where there was a wedding that was to occur. If the groom didn't show up, it was the father's right to say, okay, I'm going to give my daughter to another man. In this case, it was the best man. The saga continues. Samson's not there. Okay, my daughter doesn't deserve this. You can have her. So another guy marries her. Samson shows up. <laughs> Imagine now. Samson the hothead shows up with the 30 outfits to pay off the bet. And he's already angry. Now he shows up at the wedding and his bride-to-be has married someone else. The guy that was mad before, look out. So what does Samson do? Not spirit-led. What he does, he goes and catches a bunch of foxes, 150 pairs of foxes. That's mind-boggling, right? I mean, there probably wasn't a zoo where he could catch them all in one little pen. Anyway, 150 pairs, so 300 foxes. He ties their tails together, and then he takes a torch, puts it between those tails, lets them go in among the crops of the Philistines. So guess what happens? Burns it down. Anger. Burning with anger. Literally. He's burning with anger 
And a whole lot of people now are paying the price for this guy's burning anger. He's not solving anything. The more he does to fix his anger, the more anger he creates and generates in himself. It's just a cascading problem that goes on and on. Now, the Philistines are ticked. (laughs) Rightly so. He's destroyed their livelihood. He's burned up all their crops. What do the Philistines do? They burn to death the bride and her father. This thing just gets worse and worse and worse. The more emotional he gets, worse we get. And for many of us guys, anger is our default emotion. Here's what I mean by that, just to give you an example. It's not true in all cases, but in a lot of cases, anger is our default emotion. You're walking along and you are barefoot and you kick a chair and stub your toe. What's a woman do? She sits down, nurses the toe, says, I love you toe, I didn't mean it. What's a guy do? And then he kicks it again. That's what a guy does. What did Samson have to be so angry about? I mean, come on. Why did he have, he was the guy who pursued the wrong woman. He decided to marry her. He he rejected godly counsel. He taunted the Philistines. He's the guy who knew the secret. He's the guy who told the secret. He's the guy who left the altar to go and kill all these guys. I mean, he's mad at the world, but really he's in the world that he created by a series of bad decisions of his own. And that's where a lot of men end up living. You know, we we get angry at the world or, um, you know, in reality, sometimes we really ought to be instead angry at ourselves. It could be anything. I hate my job. I hate my boss. And sometimes it's just we take with ourselves to our employer an attitude that makes us so unpromotable that they that we just create this environment and it just kind of just chews into us from the side. And Or we say to ourselves, my wife doesn't meet my physical needs, yet we've not met their emotional needs for months and months and months. And... We ought to be held accountable for that. Or, or we say, you know, I can't believe God has me here in this place in my life. I shouldn't be going through this. And, and sometimes that place is the place that we've put ourselves because of our own bad decisions, but we're blaming God. A lot of us have been there, probably most of us, driven by anger instead of by the Spirit. And I'm just hopeful that, that there will be among us here today some men who are just strong of character enough that down in their heart they can hear these words and think about this. And maybe there will be some apologies where they'll look their children in the eye and say, hey, kids, you know, I don't think I've always treated you like I should. Sometimes I've been a little bit hard and I've yelled instead of listening and I'm sorry. Or men who maybe would say to some wives, you know, honey, I've taken my frustrations out on you. I'm sorry. Not... You know, I've had tough times, no excuses, but I mean, I've not treated you with the kind of respect and love. I've been more emotional-led than spirit-led, and I wish it was different, and I want to be different. Now, ladies, if you hear something like that, you're not going to be some kind of, you know, jerk and say, yeah, you'll never amount. No, you're never going to do that. You're going to think this, that whenever your man moves towards you in humility, you embrace that. Ladies, you just got to embrace that. You love them up towards God. You never tear them down. Love your man towards God. Love him up towards God. And, you know, the thing is that if you tear him down, he'll just take his ball and go home. That's what guys do. You know, if you, if you can't help him win, you know, he's doing something that takes courage to do, and you want to help him do that. 
So he'll fall, fall victim to two emotions. The first one was that he burned with anger. The second is that Samson was filled with pride. And now, okay, now remember he was able to do what he did only because of the strength, the supernatural strength that God gave him. Okay, verse 15, um, chapter 15, verse 15. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. Okay, how arrogant and prideful is that? I mean, it's like, okay, this is the UFC on steroids. This is Jackie Chan, John Wayne, and Bruce Lee all crammed together. I mean, one guy versus a thousand and Chuck Norris was in that too. I can see you guys don't know who Bruce Lee is. Okay, all right, all right. I was going to say, turn in your man cards, every one of you, if you don't know who Bruce Lee is. <laughs> so he's he takes off doing this, and all of the credit for his capability. Come on, one versus a thousand. It's got to all. This is completely the only way you could do that is God. Okay. There's some theological questions there that I'm not going to explore, but the point is, this is not the flesh and blood capability of any man. Verse 16. Then Samson said, with a donkey's jawbone. I have made donkeys of them. With a donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. And this is a raw, direct case of the absolute worst kind of pride. He takes personal credit for something that was God's doing. That power. He takes personal credit for some gift, some capability that the Lord put into him. And I, you know, I, I don't know why it is why so many guys, uh, you know, all, you know, me too, battle with pride. I mean, you know, we go, you know, look at me, look what I did. Do you like what I did? Do you see me now? Can you hear me now? Can you see me now? I mean, we want you to approve us. Do you, do I impress you? Am I strong? You really do think I'm great. You know, I mean, we, we think of that and that, and, and that here's the deal with pride like that. Pride is almost always born from insecurity. And when we don't know who we are in Christ, pride is the emotion that will rise up first to take us down. Scripture says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And it says that pride comes before a fall. Those are good warnings. And here's the deal. Pride comes out, not, comes out like this. Don't I have worth based upon what I've done? And the flip side of that is equally dangerous because people who are prideful, it's not just, hey, look at what I got done. It's, I'm not going to ask for help. I don't want you to see my weaknesses and I don't want you to know. And that's a problem for a lot of men because the deal is this. For most of us men, we want to be the central character in the story. We want to be the main guy because when we win, we're proud and if we don't win, we're angry. But we want to be the main character in the story so we can be in control. But here's the deal, guys. We're never, ever going to be the main character. God is always the main character in our story. He always needs to be. He ne always will be one way or the other. When we understand that God's the main character, then we won't be so tempted to be driven by our emotions. It's a lot easier to be led. In fact, we'll want to be led by the Spirit. And so when you live by the Spirit, you're not going to want to gratify the desires of your fleshy nature. You know, that fleshy nature, Paul talked about it, it's in conflict. The things that I want to do, I don't. The things that I don't want to do, somehow I do. If you're driven by emotion, you'll, you'll just end up just like Samson, a man with his huge potential, but this capability to self-destruct. But if you will put your emotions on the altar... 
and sacrifice them to God and say, yeah, I feel them, but I'm not going to be driven by them. I'm just going to be spirit-led. Then God will be the center of your story. And you won't be doing everything for the approval of other people and other men. Instead, you'll be living for the approval of God. And that changes everything. It changes everything. All of a sudden, when you're there, you can be everything that God created you to be. It's down in you. You can be a man of spiritual character. You can be a man of integrity. You can be men who love your wives the way the Lord loved the church and laid his life down for them. You can be a guy who just is known because he conducts his business affairs with integrity and character. You can be light and people will be drawn to you because of the light you carry. And maybe some of you are thinking, you know what? <laughs> Sounds really good, but I have really missed this. I've messed stuff up in my life. You wouldn't believe some of the stuff. And, you know, I've got some things going on in my background. And even in my today's, Terry, that if other people found out about would just. If that's you, I've got some great news for you. You're in need. And if you'll acknowledge your need before God. This could be one of the greatest days of your life. It could be one of the greatest moments. It could be a watershed change for your life when you would say, okay, I got all these problems. I need God. I need God. And if you let your need drive you to God, God will meet your deepest needs. Your deepest needs. That's powerful. That is powerful. Samson kills a thousand guys. He's public enemy number one. He's alone in the desert. He's, you know, he's afraid. Okay, so here's where he, where he is. Verses 18 and 19. He cried out to the Lord, you have given your servant this great victory. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised, the unbelievers? Then God opened up the hollow place in Lehi, which basically is the place of the miracle. And listen to this. And water came out of it. When Samson drank, his strength returned and he revived. Man, when you decide to return to God, he'll revive your strength. He will revive in you strength you never knew you had. And it's, by the way, not going to be your strength. It's going to be his strength. You'll come back to life. You can make a difference. You, you can be a leader. You can live righteously. You can do those things that we talked before. And when Samson turned to God, God returned his strength and he was revived. I want to say to you guys, you can be men of integrity. You can be men of character. You can be men who make a difference where you work. You can become an influencer rather than being influenced. And that influence will be godly. And the Lord will testify to your soul about his hope for you. I want to read to you and over you, Psalm 121. <laughs> for a couple of reasons, this has been in my crosshairs lately. One is that um, the women are looking at Psalm 121. It's wonderful. It's only eight verses. I'm going to read it all to you. And when I say over you, I think these words are supernatural in their impact. It just will let them get into your soul. The second reason is that, um, that we were sitting with Lisa's father minutes before he died. And uh, I watched my bride, something well up within her. And her father 
wouldn't talk about spiritual things much. And he was kind of a tough character in some ways, personality-wise. He had a strong personality. But there was a tenderness in those last days of availability. And I saw my wife do something courageous and loving. And as they did, I just read this scripture over you. And she read this, and it's, it's, it's powerful. And you don't have to wait till you're on your deathbed to let the power of this get in there because it's good today. So I'm going to read this over you and then pray. I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade and your right hand at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you, God, that, um, that we can learn so many of these lessons from Samson and not have to have the failures, but God, we got those in our life too. I want to thank you, Lord, that there is something of promise and potential that this isn't so much about correcting us as releasing us today. This isn't so much about our failures as it is about our potential. This is more about Jeremiah 29, 11. This isn't about our calamity, but it's about our future and our hope. I pray, Lord, for the things that you are saying to your sons this moment would begin to build up, Lord, and take life. I pray, Lord, that they would become released in their lives, full of life. They would become fruit in their path and a blessing in their soul. In Jesus' name, amen.